Father God, I speak freedom over your people this morning. I speak freedom from the bondage and the chains and the sin that so easily ensnares and restricts us. I speak freedom from the condemnation, from the, the, uh, the harsh words that were spoken, the careless words that were spoken over your people. This morning, God, I speak freedom over your people. I ask that your spirit would come, that your spirit would speak amongst your people, that while we came in one way, God, hearing one voice, that today it is your voice that speaks and that we walk out of here looking more like Jesus than when we walked in. In his mighty name I pray, amen, amen. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I'm super excited this morning. I don't remember the last time I was this excited to preach. <clears throat> and then, last night at like, I don't know what time, Elizabeth sent me a message and said, I had a whole set list planned for today, and I was driving home all ago, and I felt like God said, throw it all out and put these others in their place. And this morning during that one song, I literally had to grab my notes and take them to her and show her, like, this is why. Just to take you through my process of the week, we're going to be in Acts 7 if you want to turn there. Um, through my process of the week, last week I did mention that I had already sort of glanced ahead and that there would be some adult-themed material. I will be very careful of the way that I phrase things. I'm not always that way. This morning I will be. Um, but I will tell you that generally speaking, I'll get up in the morning, I'll do a little bit of studying, I'll make a few notes, and then I start trying to get my kids out of bed and around for this day. I have one in particular, I won't name names, Mason, that I have to beat out of bed. He has to leave at 7.45. He's usually up at 7.40 after I've said every 10 minutes it's time to get up. And he says, I know. I mean, they say, I know. I didn't want to name names. Um, and so I was, I just knew this week would be different. And so I set my alarm for 30 minutes earlier. Usually in the course of the week, I will have one page of notes that on Saturday I will transfer this page of notes to a, a smaller list of things, and then Sunday morning I get up, I'm old school. I don't type things out. Mitch mentioned I could do talk to text, I, so I use notebooks, notebooks, notice. So I have a study notebook and a preaching notebook. So then on Sunday morning, I will take this page of notes and I will apply it to my preaching notebook. Tuesday morning, I realize, uh-oh, I already have two full pages of notes this way and I have some things written this way and things in all caps and I don't know how to process all of this. And so I had to bring a whole nother notebook into the, the, the process. <laughs> I will tell you that most of the notes that I took I want to be able to talk about things from a place of confidence and knowledge. It's so a lot of the notes that I took, a lot of the stuff that I studied was just to have it in my head to make sure I have my thought processes lined out. I will say I do have two pages of notes, but I am super excited. And yesterday I drove to Mexico and I felt like God was really talking to me. I was, I was almost in tears in the, in the vehicle so I'm going to um, I'm going to read Acts seven. I'm going to read. I, I want you guys to be thinking about something too. We talked about this a little bit. How we want to start letting people find their voice in church. Um, in the near future, I'm going to start having some other people read scripture for me. Kids, I would like you all to think about doing that. Adults, I would like you all to think about being able to step out in that process. Uh, maybe even some opening prayers, closing prayers type things. Um, I want us to understand that we are the body, okay? Notice I said kids because you all are the church of today. Acts 7, I'm going to read 35 through 53, and I'm going to go as quickly as I can because there's a lot of stuff here, okay? <clears throat> Hopefully some stuff you've never th heard or thought about. So, this Moses whom they rejected saying, I want to I read that again. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? 
This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give us or living words. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in our hearts, they turned to Egypt saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf, 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 in those days, sorry, and offered a sacrifice to the idol. They offered a sacrifice to the idol in rejoicing in the works of their hands. Sorry. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Raphan. The images that you made to worship and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they were disposed to the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you, will, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, and did not keep it. I know there's a lot there. I know there's a lot there. I want to I really jump into this. I want to I start here. I, I repeated this a couple times because it says, this Moses whom they rejected. I want to point out the fact that in rejecting Moses, they actually rejected God. Okay. So that then when Moses goes up onto the mountain, and he is up there for like 40 days in their defense, and they don't know what's happening, that they then down here on the ground have this calf built as an idol, and they begin worshiping it. Think about the things, and I'll, I'll give you a list of them in a minute. Think about the things that God has already done for them to bring them out of Egypt, and how quickly they are to forget about it. And so I want to jump on verse 41 and 43, really a lot of what I want to talk about is idol worship. So in 41 through 43, it talks about um, they made the calf and they offered a sacrifice to the idols and they were rejoicing in the work of their hands. But God turned them, but turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written. And then it says, um, they took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphan. And I don't pronounce everything right, so when I ask you to read the Bible in the future, if you don't know how to pronounce names and words, welcome to the club, okay? <clears throat> I want to point out these things, and in my study, I, I studied false gods in the Bible, and it was huge. Huge list of false gods, just so you know. Um, 
But I want to I touch on what we call false gods, and I want to touch on what we call idol worship. Um, in the American westernized version of idol worship, when I say you worship idols, the first thing our minds go to is what? Uh, the Super Bowl is today, okay? So, so that's what you'll hear in most American churches is that you worship Patrick Mahomes or you worship the Chiefs. And in fact, the skit guys did this thing and it's been a long time ago, some of y'all probably may be showing my age. The skit guys may not be cool anymore. But they did this thing where it was like they showed people in stadiums with their faces painted and they're yelling and they're cheering. And they talked about how this was idol worship. And I do want to say that absolutely, yes, you can put anything out of place and worship something above God. You can worship those type of idols. In fact, we label American Idol. We label Hollywood people as stars. And if you notice, you worshiped the star of Rafan or whatever. And so there, that is it. But when we do things like that, we really water down the message of the Bible. And let me use the story of David and Goliath, for instance. As pastors, we want to give good pictures, and, and Jesus taught in parables. There's nothing wrong with this. And so we use the story of David and Goliath to preach on you slaying the giant in your life. So you have this giant of sin, or you have this giant of depression, or you have this giant of anxiety, and you will slay it. A couple things on that. Number one, David is a representative of Jesus, not us. Do not idolize David. David is a type and a shadow of Jesus to come. Jesus is the one who will slay those giants in your life. David actually fought a giant-sized man. And he wasn't the only one. He had multiple brothers. And you will see in another story where they actually end up killing one of his brothers. And not only was it him and his brothers, there were tribes of giants. So that when you read the story that they sent scouts in to spy the land and they come back and they say, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, for the first 12 years of my church life, ministry life, I thought they were just afraid of facing these... No, they were giants. Okay? The Bible is literal in a lot of what it talks about. There are, some, there are analogies. There are these things. And so when, when the Bible talks about idols, there is not a single Jewish person who would have taken that phrase and thought of Patrick Mahomes or thought of you worshiping this or that on that level. Even when you think about Indians having like totem pole, Native Americans, sorry, I should be politically correct. <clears throat> when you think of totem poles, they weren't worshiping the wooden thing that they built. In some instances, they were worshiping a god that it represented, represented or in some instances, when they built idols, they prayed that the spirit of this being that they were worshiping would come and inhabit this thing that they're worshiping. So when you hear this thing that it says, um, God gave them over to worship these things, it says, you took up the tent of Moloch, the star of your God, Raphan, Raphan, however you say that, when you see that phraseology, it is talking about a constellation. It's talking about them worshiping a constellation, and that constellation represents a deity. Now, some of you know what the divine council is, and some of you do not. And so the divine council is too broad a topic to completely get you involved, like absorbed in it, but... The divine counsel is God creates the sons of God, which are, how do you say it? I don't know if they're like angels or what they exactly are, but think, think Satan in your mind. Not Satan before he fell, right? Before he, before he opposed God. But God created this group of his sons who in the spiritual side of things are meant to rule over things, Okay? So God created them, and at some point, Satan is not the only one that rebelled. 
So when it says in the Tower of Babel that he divided them and he begins to let them worship whatever they want, it's my belief that at that time these people began worshiping these entities. I don't don't know what other word, how how to get it through to you. So when you hear that Satan is a serpent in the garden, I don't know that that necessarily means a snake as you and I understand it. It might, but it's weird to me that a snake was talking. So it may have been more of a serpent-like creature that was created that Adam had a context for because Adam is in a relationship where he can see into the divine council. If you want a picture of the divine council and how it works, go to the book of Job. And in the book of Job, the divine council has met and God is ruling over it and Satan walks into that room and it's when God says, where have you been? Also remember that Satan is not a name, it is a title. Satan is a deceiver or an accuser. So in the Bible, when it says Satan, it's not always the same entity. There is one opposing force, which is called Lucifer or Beelzebub. I'm not even sure where Beelzebub comes from, okay? I'm doing a very quick, broad thing over this. So when you think about the book of Acts, the Bible is written primarily in Hebrew and Greek. Think about Greek mythology, the pantheon of the gods. When I tell you that I don't think that they're all mythological, don't hear that I'm telling you that they're gods because they're not. They are created beings. But I believe that some of these beings, such as Moloch, is an actual created being that was worshipped by people. Okay? This is what... This is what they believed, not just me. And so when you think about it from this, and then, and then that takes you into the Nephilim and all this other stuff. But So when we think about this, God gives you over to worship these things. What I want you to understand is that, biblically speaking, I even looked into how they worshiped false gods. And there's tons and tons of ways. I wrote down a few for my points today. Let me backtrack just a little bit. I'm running too fast. So when you worship the star of Rafan, you're worshiping a constellation. That will lead you into astrology. How many of you pay attention to astrology? Come up here and let me slap your hand. Okay? So when you hear, I am a Taurus or a Leo or a Pisces or whatever you are, you are aligning yourself with something that is opposite of the image God has created you in. Those things represent other false deities, okay? I'm hoping somebody's mind is going kaboom right now. Last week, I talked about magic, and my wife said, hey, you you missed a big point on magic as you talked about magic is demonic, okay? If you listen to people who are in the occult, who are practicing witches and warlocks and all this stuff that we think is made up, they will tell you that there's a few things to make actual magic happen. It's the intent of your heart. It's a repetitive um, saying or phrase. And then it's a some sort of supernatural entity coming into agreement with you and helping you out in that moment, okay? Think that way. So, so when we think, I don't know, I, I can't go too far down the rabbit trail, but when we think fallen angels, we think demons, and I think those are two separate things, okay? So fallen angels are these entities that I'm talking about. And so when you hear um, Moloch, there's lots of people who are smarter than me that have studied this out for, I've been studying this out for years, and I still have like just a very little understanding. People have studied out for years that say some of these entities like Zeus and Satan and Moloch may be all of the same just recreating, rebranding himself, okay? So let's jump into types of worship really quick. Mentioned here is animal sacrifice. Um, they, they, they made animal sacrifices to these false gods. They built altars. They built statues. They cut themselves. If you think of the story of uh, Elijah when he faces off with the prophets of Baal, when they're trying to get Baal to do what they want, they cut themselves to release blood in order to get him to wake up or whatever. And that's when, that's a really funny story when Elijah's like, maybe he's on the toilet, maybe he's asleep. You know, it's really funny. 
if you like that sort of thing. Um, they cut themselves, they did child sacrifice, and they did um, sex worship. They did prostitution. You saw cult prostitution. You saw these things, okay? Um, and so you saw all of these things happening in the Old Testament, all right? And so I just want to touch on, because Moloch in particular is, is one of the ones that's called out here. You will see over and over again in the Old Testament that the Israelites are secretly going away and worshiping Moloch, and, and the way they do is child sacrifice. <clears throat> but I want to tell you that this is how that child sacrifice happened. They built a statue of Moloch, a brazen, which is like a metal statue that was hollow on the inside. He had the head of an ox, and his hands were stretched out. He had a human body. His hands were outstretched like this with open hands. And they built a fire inside of this statue. And they heated this statue until it was glowing red hot. And then the people brought their children and placed them in the hands of this statue. And then the, the priests who were offering the sacrifice sat around the outside and rhythmically beat on drums to sound out the noise of what you can imagine was taking place when you place a, a child or a baby in glowing red hands. Does that mortify anyone else? I say this because we, we, we say, oh, you're worshiping these idols and we don't even understand the level at which it was happening here in the Bible because it's somewhat sanitized in the way God wrote it out. Um, and I have to say that these practices have not ended. So, so when we if we understand this properly, if there is an actual being here that's being worshipped in this way, remember that these beings are in opposition to God. <laughs> Satan was jealous of the relationship that God had with us, and Satan wanted to be worshipped like God. And so these entities, as they got God's image bearers to pull away from Him, to worship the, them in this way, they rejoiced in causing a division between us and God, and they rejoiced in the fact that they were destroying God's image bearers, both physically and spiritually. And so when I tell you that I believe that today, I'm not making a political statement that, that when I say we're sacrificing children at a rate that is unprecedented in comparison to this through abortion. And I am not saying that the government... I, we, we can debate the political side of it anytime you would like to, but I'm saying that these, these girls are not sacrificing their bodies as a worship to this deity, but that deity is rejoicing when this happens because God's children and His image bearers are being destroyed. Not only that, but the, the women doing it are suffering and, and carrying, not all of them, but many of them are carrying shame and regret right on into the future, and it separates them from God. And I want to go even, even farther in this and say, how dare us... <clears throat> How dare us paint people into a place where they feel like the only option they have is to kill their child because in the church, and I know this for a fact because I've seen it with my own eyes, I personally know a girl who got pregnant in high school and her parents, good God-fearing church-going people, scheduled an abortion because the shame of that would have been less in their eyes than the shame of a child being born. What I'm telling you is, <clears throat> what I'm telling you is that's why when Jesus came and He said, you've heard it say, do not murder, but I say, do not hate in your heart because you've committed murder already. My wife and I watched a Dateline special or something where a pastor was counseling a lady who was having marital issues and he started having an affair. 
And then he starts planning to kill his wife. And this lady he's having an affair with says, why don't you just get a divorce? And he said, because if I get a divorce, they won't let me preach anymore. But if I can kill my wife and hide it, I get to keep the pulpit. Here's what, here's what I want you to hear from this. This is what I want you to hear from this. This is across the board. Hidden sin is accepted in the church, but visible sin is not. Sexual immorality that can be seen is shouted at and cast out and those people are run out of the church condemned and hated and chastised. But if you can commit adultery in secret, we won't even talk about it in the church. If you can be addicted to pornography and I don't know about it, let's not even confront it. Have I stepped on everybody's toes yet, by the way? <laughs> This is, this is heavy stuff, but I'm telling you that if the church would get things right, this is whitewashed tombs. This is whitewashed tombs. The church people will accept me because I don't cuss anymore. Even though I hate people, even though I'm racist, even though I'm homophobic, whatever, even though I'm whatever, you name it. But you can't see it, so you accept me. Right? It makes me a whitewashed tomb. I, I much prefer, just so you know, I much prefer someone who comes up to me and knows that I'm a pastor and still cusses. I'm not saying you should cuss. Clean up your language, please. <laughs> Don't hear that. My wife would get on to me because I like to make inappropriate jokes. And my wife would say, you, you are across the line. In fact, here's the line of what's clean and here's the line of what's not. And you're, you're, you never come back on the clean side. You're, you're always over there. And for years, I was like, Jesus gave me this personality. God gave me this personality. I got a sense of humor. Show me in the Bible. And finally, I did come to terms with the fact that you, you, you can be a stumbling block. Sometimes I still go too far sometimes. I'm not completely right. But <clears throat> I'm not saying you don't, you don't work on cleaning up what's visible. What I'm saying is when Jesus pointed it out, he said, what's, it's, it's what's inside that matters. And so we get to the point where we have literally made it more acceptable for a girl to kill her child than for her to have a, a pregnancy out of wedlock within the church. I thought I wrote some other stuff down, yeah. Murder over divorce was better. So it's secret sin is acceptable over visible sin. Jesus even went so far as to say, if you say raka to your brother, which basically means you idiot, then you're basically guilty of murder. I won't even tell you the story about the guy that honked his horn at me this week. I, I won't even go there because you all may get out the stones and stone me because I was angry. <clears throat> anyway, let's move on from there. Let's move on from there. <laughs> I, I could whitewash my tomb a little more sometimes. Okay, so... What I believe is not that we are offering our children up an abortion. By the way, it's by, like in America to the tune of a million babies a year. Okay. Um, we are also, I, I, I could never wrap my mind around these people who do the self-harm and the cutting thing. And I still don't quite understand it, right? I, I don't. But I want you to know that we see that biblically when Jesus goes up into the Gadarenes in the boat and this man who's so demon-possessed runs to him. Understand that actually wasn't him running to him. It was actually the demons running to him. But he run to him. It says specifically that that guy who couldn't even be bound by chains would cut himself. And I want you to know that whatever this reasoning is, that these same these same demonic entities that, that rejoice at abortion, rejoice when our kids have whatever it is that's causing them to inflict this pain upon themselves. Because in that way, they are harming and destroying God's image bearers. And we don't even really need to go into prostitution, do we? 
because it's more rampant than ever before, and that that um, physical intimate thing that takes place there is is if there's a more spiritual side to that than I think any of us realize. It's the reason that God says that we should wait until we're married. Uh oh, the preacher went there. Oh, don't go there. It's because in some ways it connects our souls to one another and so that you do not want to connect your soul to someone that you don't know what their soul is connected to. You know, anyway. I've already said a lot. (laughs) I've already said a lot. Okay, and so then the next thing that I saw was the next part of this that I saw was that the, these people, it says they've rejected Moses, but they followed him out into the wilderness, right? And so here's what happens is that these things that I'm talking about, if we focus on just cleaning up the outside of ourselves to make ourselves acceptable and presentable to other church people, in other words, put on your church mask, what, it, what that does is it leads us, we're not following God. We're not actually following God then. We're actually just following an appearance only. We're just going through the motions. Just like the Israelites were. The Israelites are all like, yeah, I don't want to be a slave in Egypt anymore. Take me out. But the minute they're out of that slavery, what do they do? They just keep looking back. They just keep wanting to go back. In fact, right here in this, it says that God takes them away, but they look back to Egypt with longing in their heart. It leads us, and and I'm going to tell you this, at this point, let's be honest, they're not following God. They are following Moses. Only Only in a physical way, but they are following Moses. Let's see, let's see. Okay. This is what it says. He says, um, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to hear in that, is that the Holy Spirit is inside of you speaking to you. And you all don't need me, I say this all the time, you all don't need me to talk about sin all the time because you know. You know. And if you would listen to the Holy Spirit, He will convict you of sin and then it's, it's God working in you that will help. That's why I said, don't idolize David in that story. David's not the giant slayer, Jesus is. That Jesus that's inside of you will help you overcome all of those things. Right, And so it's not for you to follow me. It's not for you to listen to me. But if we're stiff-necked and God says, hey, you need to do this, and we just, nope, not doing it. Nothing ever changes. If we sit in a church service and every time the preacher says something hard, we look at the person beside us and say, I hope you're hearing that while we're tuning it out of our own ears. (laughs) Come on, spouses, you know you do it. You know, the preacher said it's the man's job to take the trash out. I told you that was. You listening to that? Sorry, that's personal. Okay, so we refuse to change because we're stiff-necked. In fact, so often we're just even, it says you have uncircumcised ears, which is a weird phraseology, but you have uncircumcised hearts and ears, And so if our hearts are uncircumcised, we won't even let God in there. We won't let people in there. And if our ears are uncircumcised, that means that when God is trying to talk to us, we ain't listening. Because being circumcised is a sign that you're actually following God. You're one of His, right? So if my ears are circumcised, that means that I'm listening to God because I'm following God. And did you know that's what we're supposed to do as believers? Not just go to church, not just listen to K-Love. It's just, it's a, it's a life, it's a life-changing thing. Come to church. I love you guys being here. I love you. And, and in so doing, we're resisting what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And, and even then farther, 
There's, there's a lot of us that, that as we go farther with God and God's changing us on the inside, we still resist the Holy Spirit. That's when it gets weird where it's like the Holy Spirit's giving you a word that you're supposed to give to somebody else and you're like, uh-uh, I ain't doing it. <laughs> I mean, if you read the Bible and Paul wants to go here and the Holy Spirit says, no, nah, it ain't time, he turns around and he goes back the other way, okay? These are the things that I'm talking about. We refuse to listen. We resist what God's wanting to do. So I want to show you just real quick a picture of um, what God did for the Israelites and what Egypt did. What Egypt did was slavery. Egypt oppressed and enslaved. I mean, the Israelites had food. They had shelter. But in the meantime, they're enslaved and oppressed, and at different times their firstborn children are getting killed. I mean, come on now, why, why you want to look back to that? And then, and then God shows up through Moses. God shows up and God gives them freedom because he does the whole ten plagues. By the way, if you want to go back into the divine council and the whole idol worship thing, Egyptians worshiped about 40 different gods and God pretty much assaulted a whole bunch of them in those ten plagues such as they worshiped the sun god. So when God made it dark over all of Egypt for however long, he was showing that, hey, that God you think is in control, yeah, I'm above him. Okay. So when you look at those, you have to understand that that was God. He was giving the Egyptians the opportunity here to understand the, her the her hairy hi hierarchy. Thank you. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to me from the back row the hierarchy of things and how God works, okay? So you can go into that, and if you dig into it, you will see how God attacked the gods that they built up in their mind. He not only that, when they, when they did get freedom and they run to the sea, and the sea has got them captured in, and here comes their oppressors coming after them, God literally parts the water. Guess what? I mean, even if you look into Greek mythology, there's a God of the water, and God's saying, hey, look, I'm bigger than all of these cats that you think are so cool. Um, let's see, I lose my place. Where was I? He gives them freedom, he parts the Red Sea. Then when they get out and they begin complaining, because at least in Egypt we had meat pots, he gives them manna from heaven. And when that's not good enough, he gives them quail from heaven to give them some meat in their belly. When they run out of water, God takes a rock and makes water gush forth. He provides every one of their needs. Not only, and all of these things he's done before they get to the mountain. They can see God as a pillar of fire and a pillar, uh, a pillar of, like a cloud at night or in the day or however it works. Which are, you know what I'm saying, vice versa. Um, they can literally see that happening. And yet when Moses goes up onto the mountain for a few days, they're down here twiddling their thumbs and all of a sudden, let's turn back to our old ways, these old, these old things that enslaved and ensnared and all of a sudden... Um, Oh no, here it goes again. And then in 4850, he talks about 48 through 50, is that what it is? Yeah. The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You see, there came this time when Jesus comes and, and dies and his blood washes away our sins. It doesn't just cover them, it removes them wholly so that now I can be back in right relationship with God so that God's Spirit can come dwell on the inside of me. So that now I don't need, listen to me, I am not your Moses. Do not leave it up to me to go up onto the mountain and get revelation and bring it back down to you. The veil is torn in two. You now have the ability to hear from God just the same that I do, to approach a holy and righteous God. You have that ability to walk into his throne room and have a conversation and a personal relationship with him if you so choose.
was told, <clears throat> sorry, I was told something a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> I was told, if you do not face the facts that you need to start promoting yourself and your ministry. And if you don't, your church will never grow. So for two weeks, I've been processing that. I've been rolling that around in my head. And I've been listening to some podcasts about some mega churches that just collapsed in them all upon themselves. <clears throat> and if what it takes for this church to grow is for me to promote myself or to promote Cornerstone, this church will never grow. God will not dwell in a house made by human hands. And I'm taking that a step further. If you're part of this body, we will not use God to promote ourselves or our ministry. And what I mean is, I'm not going to put a Jesus fish on the back of my car in order for people to look at me as a Christian and I still flip people off in traffic. Or I'm not just going to wear a Christian shirt so that people recognize me as a Christian. I'm not going to roll around in a cornerstone church and think that makes me holy. We are going to be a church that uses ourselves to promote God. I will use myself and my life to promote Jesus. I will be His promoter. I will be the one who... Okay, so... So, so maybe you heard, maybe you're hearing right now why Beth's song spoke to me so much. Christ be magnified. In fact, in that song, it talked about idols. We will not use God to promote or market ourselves or our church. We will use ourselves to promote and market Jesus. We will serve people who do not deserve to be served. We will love people that do not deserve to be loved. We will love people knowing that they're going to come in, they're going to pull us in, and they're going to stick a knife in our backs, and they're going to do, there are going to be people that come in here to steal, kill, and destroy, and we are going to love those people. We are going to offer freedom. We are going to speak Jesus. We will follow God and not man, and that includes this guy right here. When God speaks to you, that supersedes what I speak to you. Period. End of sentence. <clears throat> and we will only worship Him. <laughs> and then when Beth was playing that song, I wrote in all caps at the bottom, Christ be magnified. That means for you and I, we have to stretch out our neck. We can't be stiff-necked. So I want you to think about that unequally yoked thing. I should have brought my ox. I should have brought my ox yoke in today. You've all seen a Western movie at some time when you pull the rein on on the horse, it steers where it goes. Let God jerk your head around and lead you where to go. Stop praying in your prayers. God bless what I'm doing and start praying in your prayers. God show me where you're moving so I can come into agreement with that. Stop getting up and just praying that God would bless other people and start praying, Jesus, how are you interceding on my behalf for God so that I can come in into agreement with that? Let's uncircumcise our ear. Let's not uncircumcise. Let's circumcise, sorry. <clears throat> Let's circumcise our ears and say, God, you speak to me. And if there is something inside of me that is a stumbling block to me following you, then you expose it to me so that I can remove it. 
If there's something inside of me that keeps people from seeing more of Jesus leaking out of me, then God, you deal with it and you remove it. If there's something in the body that is causing us to be a stumbling block, then you do what you do, God. Um, God, if my heart is not circumcised and I am not allowing you to have full access of every chamber, of every vessel, of every vein, of every artery, then you circumcise my heart and you invade the whole thing and then you, then you go a little bit farther, you cut off a little bit more so that I would let other people come into my life. You got another song, right? Okay. I want to say one last thing. This is not in my notes. This is just personal. And this isn't me as a pastor. This is me as a man. I want to be part of a group of people that pushes toward each, other, toward each other even when things are hard. I want to be a part of people that if I offend you, that you press toward me, not away from me. I want to be part of a people if I'm trapped in sin and shame, I don't let it separate me from you. But that I know in my heart that you love me, that you have grace for me, that you are praying for me, and that I would press toward you, and that I would know that no matter what I reveal, you will not cast me out, you will not reject me, but you will embrace me. You may correct me. And when I'm saying that, I'm saying that I cannot do that alone. I'm saying that it takes each and every one of us. And what I'm telling you is that I see it. We're, we're right there teetering on the edge of it. It's right there. I mean, we could, we could reach out and touch it right now. Don't reach too hard because... Unity. I, I'm telling you, when I say I have a vision of the church, I'm not saying God showed me a movie of it. But I believe that when we get this right, then God's going to open the door and let more in. And we need, that, we need that foundation built. We already need the men being the men, the women being the women. And ladies, I want to apologize to you all. I, I, I encourage the men more than you, and I don't, I don't like that separation. God expects just as much of you all as he does of us. I'm just rougher on the men because more times than not, I see the men failing than I do the women. So, if you want prayer today, I'm here to pray with you any day. We're going to sing the last worship song here together. And, and if you want to pray, grab me, grab somebody to pray with you. But I want us to come together closer to the front. Let's just remove like the front two rows of chairs. Let's come up here and get close to each other and worship together as a body. This is a this is a, a rough one, I know. But I'll tell you why I was so excited, why I was so excited to give it. 
because I can see the freedom. I feel the freedom in here. I feel it. And when I look at you guys, I see the potential. I see a, a body on the verge of standing upright that had been buried in death, that is resurrected to walk in newness of life and ready to get outside of this church, ready to break outside of the mold of church. And so I'm asking you guys, I'm asking you to come forward with me and to join into this vision of the church. I'm asking you as you're, as you're, We don't have membership. But is your stamp of seal of approval saying, yeah, I want to be part of something like that? I, I'm going to be an imperfect part of it, but I, I want to be part of it. I, I'm asking that you would come forward into this front section. I mean, you don't have to. It's an invitation. It's not an obligation. But as we sing this song, I want to lift up our voices in honor and worship to Him and this is like a, a physical representation of our church grabbing a new gear and stepping in to a new level of being a body of believers in community together. Father God, right now, we thank you. God, as we, as we go into this worship service, God, I, I ask that your spirit continues speaking God, I give you permission to circumcise my ears and to circumcise my heart and to limber up my neck and remove the stiffness of my neck. And if there is a Christian brother or sister that, that sees something in me that needs correction, I give, them, I give them the authority to come to me and speak to me. We thank you, God. We love you. We ask that your spirit keeps speaking in the hearts and the minds of those in attendance today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.